The views expressed on the patient's perspective come directly from patients, so they are not intended to diagnose, treat, or replace professional medical advice. Information coming from the patient's perspective is for entertainment and educational purposes only. So if you have any health concerns regarding yourself or anyone else, please see a physician. The Patient's Perspective is a podcast created by patients for patients and does not focus on any specific disease or condition. Content may make you laugh, cry, and question your moral beliefs surrounding healthcare and the many issues patients run into while in the system. Finally, the most important point of view is cast into the light. The Patient's Perspective. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on The Patient's Perspective. I'm co-host Candace, and today I am doing the Tough Talk. This is my first Tough Talk, um, and I had asked Kyla if I could discuss this as maybe a jumping off point for further discussion. We welcome listeners to share their perspectives. As I think we can come to more collective decisions, the more discussion we have surrounding these tough issues that many of us face in today's world. So I'm just going to go into a story about myself and an experience that I had in my hometown, the town where I reside, London, Ontario, Canada. Like many other cities and towns worldwide, we are experiencing a homeless crisis. We have people, neighbors, friends who succumb to dying in the streets. Well, here in 2022, August 2nd, one man decided that he was going to try and do something to make change for his neighbors. I'm just going to read the speech that was delivered by Dan, and then we'll discuss some of these things. I'm going to try to keep my pace as quick as possible so that I don't get too wrapped up in emotion. I'm not really sure how to even go about this. So first I'll read for you what Dan wrote on August 2nd when he 
embarked on a hunger strike in order to try and ask the city to do some reasonable things, like stop removing encampments and people's belongings when they were unhoused and had nowhere else to go. Another thing that they asked for was 24-hour drop-in places where frontline workers could access the people in the community when they needed help or assistance of any kind, really. So in order to draw the city council and attention of the people in the city, Dan decided to starve himself until a coalition that had formed of frontline workers was able to reach agreement with the city that there were things being done to help the people that were suffering in our city streets. Now the story comes with a happy ending because it was a mere few days of sitting and talking with the frontline workers who do their job in the community by providing supplies and care and access to resources. But they cannot access their people if the encampments are removed and people become displaced. So I read you Dan's speech now and then I will read you what I wrote afterward when they were able to come to agreement with the city in order to get these small things put in place. So Dan writes, Hello, my name is Dan. I'm a white person of Dutch, Scottish, and British descent. I was raised by the Antlered River at the Side Flow, also known as London, Ontario, is where I live. The people who belong to this land, who never ceded sovereignty over this part of Great Turtle Island, are Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Lenape, Wendat, and Atawandaran. I lift my hands to acknowledge them and their ongoing struggle for freedom. Onishin, Miigwech, and Miigwech, Nikid, Nongnam. I apologize for my pronunciation. Gigak. First and foremost, thank you to the frontline workers and people with lived experience of homelessness, people who know what it is like to be deprived of housing, and other Londoners who have supported this struggle. You have been compassionate and courageous and inspire all of us. Thank you also to all the frontline workers who were pushed out of this field. We have not forgotten you. I personally know and love many of you. You made a real difference. Thank you. 
We will ever only be grateful to you, and we love you very much. Nouveau embrassant. Today, I am embarking on a hunger strike to help stem the rising tide of preventable deaths that are occurring among people who are deprived of housing and shelter in London, Ontario. I take this action on behalf of my loved ones who have died, all of the people whom I serve who are in imminent risk of dying, all of the frontline workers who are longing for change, and all of the frontline workers who were devastated by the lack of change that occurred during their time in this field. I would like to invite any supporters, other frontline workers, or people who are deprived of housing and shelter to join me and camp out at City Hall. I welcome your company. In their press releases, City has engaged in fear-mongering in relation to people who are impoverished, saying they are dangerous when they gather in groups. But I have spent a lot of time in such gatherings and have often found the company of the oppressed to be welcoming, generous, and full of life. I would be delighted to have anyone camp with me. I have been on the front lines of this struggle for a very long time, including my own lived experience of housing deprivation as a youth. I bring a total of 25 years of experience to this effort. I very deliberately use the language of housing deprivation when I speak of these things. Instead of talking about homelessness as an experience, it's more honest to highlight that people are forcibly deprived of housing and shelter. There are empty buildings the city owns. There is extra money in the city budget that is not being used. There are empty lots. There are parks. People are not permitted to have housing and shelter and are forcibly prevented from creating those things for themselves. People do not catch homelessness like a cold. It's a form of oppression, and it's getting worse. More and more people are dying on London streets because the city is allowing them to die. It's a devastating and death-dealing crisis resulting from poor management and misplaced priorities. It needs to stop. This crisis is partially the result of various social services feeling as though they must allow the city to set the agenda and priorities for what we can and cannot do, what we can and cannot say, and how we can or cannot act. Following the city's direction because they control our funding has led to this mass accumulation of deaths and equally massive accumulation of frontline worker grief, trauma, and outrage. But organizations are also being courageous at this time. Aligning themselves with the forgotten 519 and taking a great risk by choosing to take a stand and stop these preventable deaths. Thank you very much to these organizations. I would like to once emphasize that we are all seasoned frontline workers. We are professionals who are good at our jobs. We are good at our jobs because we care deeply about people. Because we care deeply about people, we are heartbroken by the ongoing and unnecessary nature of this crisis. Heartbreak can use a lot of different tones. Sometimes it voices despair. Sometimes it voices anger. Sometimes it weeps without words. But it is always rooted in a very deep love for others, which today comes with a deep conviction that if we unite together, we can stop these preventable deaths. Yes, sometimes we are angry. But more than anything, we are people who refuse to stop loving everyone the city wants us to abandon, abandon and forget. 
I feel some trepidation going into this hunger strike. The city has proven itself more than willing and able to turn a blind eye to the sufferings and deaths of so many others. As long as they can spin things in the media to make it look like these deaths are inevitable, that they are going to absolutely, they are doing, that they are doing the absolutely very best than anyone can do in a complex situation, or that homeless deaths somehow matter less than other deaths. Then they are content to abandon people to die. I have no doubt that the city will try to present my willingness to put my life on the line in the same way. They will allow me to suffer, they will try to wait me out, and they will try to convince my fellow Londoners not to care if I suffer or die. And this is why the city will fail. Because I know London, and I know Londoners. I know we care very deeply for other people. Londoners are outraged and tired of watching people die. Londoners are tired of watching loved ones become devastated by frontline jobs they once dreamed about having. Londoners are ready for a change, and Londoners will be the ones who make their elected representatives and non-elected staff members do what's right. Thus, while I feel some trepidation about suffering I will experience, I am more frightened about the number of loved ones who will die or feel forced to leave the, this field of work during the period while the city tries to convince Londoners to allow all of these preventable deaths to continue. So today I begin my hunger strike. For the duration, I will only drink water with electrolyte drops added to take medication with no nutritional value as prescribed to me by my physician. I will not break my strike until the other organizing committee members of the Forgotten 519 are satisfied that the life-saving changes we have demanded and have, have been implemented. The city has lost its credibility. At this point, it's not enough for them to say they will change. They will have to prove that the changes are in effect. Lastly, I am the father of two children who I love dearly and who also love me dearly. In a perfect world, my dream job would be to be a stay-at-home dad, but this is not a perfect world. And so, as much as I am going on a hunger strike to try and stop the preventable deaths of other Londoners, I am also doing this for my children, because I want my children to grow up in a city where we care enough about one another that we don't let our neighbours die on the street. I believe we all want that kind of city for our children. Let's create that city together. Thank you very much. So that was Dan's speech, and there were a couple of hundred supporters out for the rally to listen to the words, and then what happened was Dan set up camp, and 167 crosses were placed into the ground of community members who have died in the streets over the last three years, just here in our city. So I went down every day because I couldn't find myself in any other place. And when it was all over, 
I found myself feeling very, very lost. And so I feel the discussion must continue. And this is why I chose this topic for today's Tough Talk. And so now I would like to share with you what I wrote from my social media after the strike had ended and the Forgotten 519 had met their goals. Bear with me, please. This is a vulnerable place for me to be. And I feel like if I share my voice, it might encourage others to share theirs as well. Now, I feel that this very strongly ties into health um, because a whole health approach could very well prevent people from finding themselves in a place where they don't have any other way out. I'm just going to, I'm just going to read here for you. This was supposed to be a happy thought, but I'm broken and exhausted today. This week, the Forgotten 519 achieved their immediate goals with the City of London. It took one man who has been working with our most vulnerable neighbours for decades to reach a breaking point and call together a few people who have also been helping in fierce ways to enact a little bit of change in the name of human decency. When my friends sent me info about the coalition forming and asked me to complete a survey to have my voice heard for the city, I was both honoured and angry in my replies. When I found out Dan was staging a hunger strike until some very reasonable action was met by my city, I had to put things on hold to make sure I connected with the folks in the grass at City Hall and bring them anything I could think that was in my means to help. Bungee cords, plastic sheets, ponchos, glow sticks, cooling towels, and a doll filled with my love to keep them company. My childhood porcelain clown friend, who I asked the community to name, and because he had no name, when he was returned to me, I asked Dan if I could forever call him Dan the Tramp. You see, he was a hobo clown, and he had been one of my best friends since I was a child. I couldn't think about anything else, but everyone needs to go down there and support this action. Think about the children. I, as a disabled mom, am in a very precarious position. And if I have to make a change or my landlord falls into a position of having to sell the house I live in, which has happened to us before, we will be displaced. I am already preparing in my mind daily for having to live rough. Constant fight or flight is not going to help me be productive in my communities, provide a brighter future for my teen, or live as long as I'd like to. MSHS 
and my other autoimmune diseases are affected by stress. I have faced the lack of mental health care for my child since she was five years old, even though I accessed every resource available and waited the years of tears to finally get some testing and more clear diagnoses of what she was navigating by 13 years old. After her childhood disabilities turned inward into self-harm and outward into running away, dissociated or confused about reality, or when she blacked out and took herself to a dangerous place where she could have died, crying to me about not knowing why she can't feel happy even though she knows she has all she needs and is doing all she can. Me as a mother having to explain that I'm sorry, we are doing all we can do and knowing damn well it's not enough. Watching her ask for an ambulance after an episode of self-harm and receiving no further help after she asked to be kept safe from herself in the hospital. Being sent home with no promise of continued care. Guess what? Now there's more years of waiting to get her the help she needs to navigate. Newsflash, it isn't there and she'll be an adult soon. We've decided to try to navigate this on our own because I know how strong she is and how insightful she is. She is a healthy girl and she is very strong. But what if six months from now, at 14, she dissociates and runs away? Would she find solace in the wrong places? Would her confused mind lead her to try and numb and find a different frame of mind by taking a chance on a new drug she's never tried? Could she end up along the riverbanks like many before? Will all this stress make me experience more disability through heightened disease activity, lessening my abilities to fight for her survival? My daughter has had to watch her father be underhoused since she was four years old. Living in an unsafe environment for her to visit or stay because he has no choice who rents the other rooms in the house in which he lives. He suffers paranoid schizophrenia and though he is doing the best he can, the stress of not being able to be the father he wants due to his poor living circumstances is also harmful to him. He hides in shame and she sees him even less. He is family and his inability to live a healthy life is also harmful to us. He is one of the forgotten. And so someday may be she. I've asked permission to share these stories to let you all see just how close we are to falling through the cracks and becoming forgotten. I've shared a fraction of my struggles and I'm doing what I can from where I sit down here on the bottom rung. What might you do to help? I hope more people step up that are able to help on the front line of this crisis our world faces. I hope the comfortable are starting to get uncomfortable enough with what they're seeing to realize they have power to help make things better.
This was supposed to be a happy thought. They met their aims. I was happy, relieved, and grateful, and wanted to show that. But I'm much more broken today. I appreciate you all for listening. I'm not sure where to go from this point, other than to say that whole person care, including mental health and community and connection, even even spiritual mindfulness, things that often systems don't provide to the impoverished could prevent a lot of these situations that we're seeing in the streets these days, in my opinion. What do you think? I know this has been a tough talk. And these tough talks will continue. I hope that they spark some ambition in our listeners to speak up on things that they see that are unjust and need some change. We're happy you've joined us today. Bye for now. I'm so happy you were able to join in and listen to us today. If you have an episode idea or would like to share your story, please email me at info at thepatientsperspective.com or join our Facebook page under the same name. From all of us who are working hard bringing patient issues to light, thank you for tuning in and supporting The Patient's Perspective. Thank you.